Good evening and welcome to the Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirch. Thank you so much for being here with me. A happy Africa Day to you. Well, coming up on today's broadcast of the Catholic View, we'll be talking about the moral values as well as ethics of our South African society. And to do that, I'll be speaking to Father Smangalisu. But before that, I bring you a brief look at some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. So do stay tuned. Listen to Radio Veritas, 576 AM, for a change. And in your headlines this Wednesday evening, Pope Francis urges perseverance in prayer. Tutu's daughter quits as minister after marrying a woman. And AU and the UN partnership critical to security in Africa. Good evening once again. I'm Sheila Pirish. We begin with Church News. Continuing his series of Wednesday's Catechesis on Mercy, Pope Francis devoted his May 25th general audience to the parable of the unjust judge and the widow. Pope Francis said to do the same with God, be persistent and persevere in prayer, because he is always listening. At the same time, he recalled that prayer is not a magic wand to solve problems, but a way of approaching God. He will fulfill the wishes of his children in the way that best suits them. The first ever World Humanitarian Summit ended on Tuesday in Istanbul, Turkey. The United Nations-sponsored two-day meeting brought together world leaders in every field to help fix the humanitarian system during what's been called the worst humanitarian crisis since the end of the Second World War. Reporting from Istanbul, Vatican Radio Linda Bodoni said the role of religious organizations in alleviating suffering needs to be highlighted. One of the main goals at the heart of the first ever UN World Humanitarian Summit in Istanbul is to reaffirm the principles at the heart of humanitarian action, humanity, impartiality, neutrality and independence. These principles are also at the heart of the mission of the Sovereign Order of Malta, Invited by the United Nations to participate in the consultations that gave life to the summit and then to be present in the summit itself. I think the summit as such was a timely initiative as the humanitarian problems are raising. We took the initiative to draw the attention of the nations and the UN to the great importance of religious communities the embedded humanitarian values in the different religions and asked for better taking into regard the potential of religious communities for humanitarian aid and humanitarian action. Still with World Humanitarian Summit, Adama Dieng, the UN Secretary General Special Advisor on Genocide, said commitments made by governments attending the first ever World Humanitarian Summit should be translated into action. Rim Abaza reports. Well, I only hope that the numerous commitments made by member states are genuine. I only hope that those who have spoken will translate into action their speeches, which means that they will ensure 
that the international humanitarian law is respected, that they will respect it, but they will also ensure that other parties will respect it. Mr. Dieng quoted UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, who said the summit was about one humanity shared responsibility. He expressed hope that the world will become a more peaceful place, but only if countries translate this idea into action. Reporting from the World Humanitarian Summit in Istanbul, Turkey, I am Reem Abaza. Desmond Tutu's daughter has announced she will relinquish her priesthood following her marriage to her female partner. Reverend Mpo Tutu Van Firth, the former Archbishop of Cape Town's daughter, said she had been forced to make the decision to leave the Anglican Church after it refused to recognize her marriage. Tutu Van Firth married Dutch academic Marceline Firth in a small ceremony in the Netherlands in December 2015. Tutu Van Forth was first ordained as a minister in 2004 and has campaigned against homophobia and racism since she was a teenager. Although same-sex marriage was legalized in South Africa in 2006, the Anglican Church in the country's law on marriage affirms holy matrimony is the lifelong and exclusive union between one man and one woman. In his message for Africa Day, observed annually on the 25th of May, United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon encouraged African leaders to channel economic growth towards ensuring that no African is left behind. Dian Pan reports. The appeal has been made by UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon in a message marking Africa Day, celebrated this Wednesday, the 25th of May. African economic growth is set to increase to 4.4% this year, up from 3.7% in 2015, the UN chief reported. He urged the continent's leaders to use this growth to address rising social and economic inequalities. Africa Day marks the founding of the Organization of African States in 1963, which later led to the establishment of the African Union. The Secretary-General added that this year's observance is being held under the AU theme of human rights with a particular focus on the rights of women. This, he said, demonstrates leaders' commitment to placing women at the front and center of efforts to realize global development goals. And finally, strengthening the partnership between the United Nations and the African Union is critical to achieving peace and security in Africa. Haley Menkerios, the UN Secretary General Special Representative to the African Union, made this statement during an open debate on cooperation between the two organizations. The meeting marked 10 years of annual consultations between the UN Security Council and its African Union counterpart. Our collective challenge is to support and strengthen this architecture, particularly the African standby force and the African Union's preventive diplomacy and mediation capabilities. I am more hopeful than ever that efforts to strengthen the partnership between the African Union and the United Nations will remain critical to the continued quest for security and stability in Africa. And those were some of the news that made headlines in Africa and beyond. This is the Catholic View coming to you on Radio Veritas 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV Audio Bouquet, and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next, we're talking about the moral values and ethics of the South African society. (music) 
Former diocesan priest Father Smangalisum Kwacha is the chairperson of the Model Regeneration Movement, a networking platform that facilitates and coordinates all processes as well as initiatives aimed at combating moral degeneration. In this interview, Father Smangaliso and I talk about the moral values and ethics of our South African society. It's been 22 years after democracy, and we're seeing a repetition of what used to happen back in the days of apartheid, where people knew that in order for them to be heard, something had to be burned, or uh, there had to be some sort of a very uh, violent uh, protest in order for things to change. And we seem to be having that same mentality again this day and age, 22 years after democracy. Why is that? Well, obviously, everybody is very concerned about this uh, phenomenon. Uh, but uh, like everything else in life, when something happens, you must try to diagnose to find out the reasons why it's happening. I would want to suggest that uh, uh, one of the reasons is that um, when we got our democracy, I don't think everybody, quite frankly, was very clear as to exactly uh, what the meaning of democracy meant, how it would work, uh, how citizens were expected to conduct themselves. To a certain extent, not even people in government fully understood the responsibilities that they would uh, they would be assuming. And there was a lot of euphoria, almost a kind of a utopian <laughs> a dream that all of us engage in. But the reality, 22 years down the, 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 uh, the line, has demonstrated that maybe we should have done much more work. Like, for instance, the problem of uh, racism, which is rearing its ugly head in very nasty ways. Uh, maybe we didn't uh, uh, do enough work to have prepared ourselves for a new society. So that is the one uh, problem. The second problem is that um, I think what has happened uh, is that the somehow this there is now a distance between a, a, a government or those in authority and people on the ground, and uh, this has led to some uh, form, unfortunately, of uh, rather poor uh, uh, communications. And we know from experience that if people feel they are not being heard, they are not being taken seriously, their concerns are not being understood. Um, rightly or wrongly, they tend to react sometimes, not justified, but sometimes in rather irrational and therefore violent ways. So that could be the uh, uh, one of the reasons that the distance between people in authority and people on the ground, those who are, uh, are led. And thirdly, in this particular instance, I would imagine that one of the reasons why we're experiencing so much uh, violence, especially in municipalities and so on, uh, is simply because of the forthcoming local government election, which uh, the one thing I can tell you uh, is not going is not going to be without some some fun, <laughs> and uh, tragically so because uh, uh, there are, I mean all the signs are there that the uh, different uh, political parties that will be contesting 
are using all kinds of methods. Some of them orthodox, some of them quite unorthodox, some of them rather uh, unconventional and uh, almost write down uh, uh, violent, some of them. So these are just some of the reasons that at least attempt, not justify, but attempt to explain why we are experiencing uh, uh, so much, um, uh, so much uh, violence. To go back to the situation of apartheid, people felt already at that time that the hostile government, the government was not listening to them, a government, in fact, that had not been put in place by themselves, by the people, through the vote and, and so on, and by the government that declared itself really to be discriminatory in practice and in, in its philosophy and so on. So they felt, in a way, uh, alienated. And that's why even in, to some extent in this particular case, what has really happened is that after the euphoria of uh, democracy and, and so on, and, uh, and I remember when the uh, immediately after 1994, there was still a very strong culture of Izimbizo, uh, where people would be invited to get a report from those in, in authority, but also to have a say in the way in which they were being governed. Somehow that culture seems to be uh, to have become rather uh, weak, and therefore uh, that opens an opportunity. Sometimes even people who really have got ulterior motives, uh, who have got, or who are just plain for opportunities and uh, pushing their own secret agendas and so on, it makes it easy for them to be able then to occupy that space. So positive, therefore, what we need to be doing is to engage government much more. But also engaging government does not just mean protesting. It also means to some extent co-governing. And uh, uh, if you look back to the time of some of the ancient uh, Greek philosophers and so on, like Socrates, Aristotle, and the others and so on, their concept of a, a city-state where citizens almost were co-responsible for the way in which their cities, in other words, their, 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 their government, their, uh, government structures were run, that they felt they were part of that, their voice was being heard, they were taken seriously, they made a contribution, they were not just consumers of services uh, that government gave us. So that would be my in, initial reaction to what we are experiencing now. And of course, Father, then there's the other thing when it comes to the media, the role of the media in South Africa, in this democratic South Africa, is that people see, we see on TV just chaos most of the times taking place in Parliament, for example. Well, we did get to the fourth estate in you know, the media. Uh, I would categorically say the media is a very, very important role to play in any democracy. But the role is not only to uh, uh, portray that which is, evil, which is evil or the failures, but it's also try to project positive messages to say uh, where certain people have done very well or certain communities have set an example um, that should be emulated by uh, uh, members of the citizens and so on. Uh, those should be projected also because 
in a way, they encourage the young people, they encourage the consumers of our media to be able to say there is where the, the, the people were sort of despondent and very angry to say no, there is hope. Maybe in our own areas, services will be coming our way because look at what the government has provided there and there and there. Look at what the, uh, uh, the, the, the ministers or the local government councillors have done. Things that are positive, constructive things that uh, uh, actually build. You and I probably know that uh, I suppose there's also the inevitable uh, tension sometimes <laughs> between uh, government and the media. A uh, government naturally would want the media to portray all the good things, the nice things, and so on and so on. But I think part of the responsibility of the media is to be honest, to to uh, to portray, to report on things that are truthful that are happening. Because uh, just portraying things that uh, that seem to to be favouring certain uh, parties or certain groupings. Those are peripheral, and after a short time, they'll probably either just fritter away, and they're not uh, in any way uh, uh, constructive. So I would therefore say that the media, definitely, whether it is a, a privately owned media, whether it's public media, uh, particularly your SABC, which is the uh, uh, which is a, a public broadcaster, its main function, quite frankly, is to promote the best interests of society, broadly speaking. If, for example, if you look at the, uh, the BBC or even Voice of America and so on and so on, whether one agrees with the assistance or not, but you can actually see that they, uh, uh, they play the role not only of a, a, a watchdog or something like that, but also they positively promote the culture, the arts, the philosophy, the aspirations of the nation. So the SAPC, therefore, uh, ought to be playing that particular role. If I may also just say that uh, uh, in passing, Sheila, one of the reasons why I think we even achieve our, uh, uh, our freedom was because there were lots of structures on the ground. We had street committees, I don't know how familiar we are with that, with area committees, in other words, each and every, let me talk now about the uh, uh, situations I understand best, which was the townships, colored township, Indian townships, and so on and so on. All the, 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 those uh, residential areas were divided into small structures called street committees, area committees, where ordinary citizens actively participated in the issues of the day, in issues that concerned uh, uh, their lives, of course also in the struggle for freedom, and, uh, but there were uh, structures that educated the citizenry and encouraged people to become active uh, uh, citizens, not just consumers of uh, uh, services. Now, regrettably, those structures have collapsed. They are gone. And that's why clearly now you can see that there's a, a, quite a vacuum between government out there and the citizenry on the ground, you know, generally speaking. There is that big hiatus. Even the president himself 
has uh, uh, pointed this out. Now, in the uh, 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 religious sector, let me talk about Christianity. Uh, the religious sector is broader than that, but let me talk about Christian uh, the, uh, uh, environment. We had the South African Council of Churches. We had the Southern African Catholic Bishops Conference. And those two institutions had very important structures, grassroots structures on the ground through the Justice and Peace Commission, where the young Christian workers, where the young Christian students, we had the Kiro, we had the, you name them. And for me, they were very important because not only did they help to conscientize the, uh, uh, the young people or the grown-up people, the workers and so on, but they actually contributed to, the, to producing good and progressive visionary leaders. Now, those uh, institutions, by and large, have become very weak, uh, if they still exist uh, at all. And therefore, uh, young people, young students, young workers and workers, generally speaking, uh, they don't really have the advantage of those institutions. Uh, if you look at the way the, say, the teachers do their uh, business today, the way they conduct themselves, the way they, uh, uh, they, they, uh, they carry out their responsibilities, you can actually see there's something seriously lacking, certain values ethical values and, uh, and, and so on, which we always highlighted uh, uh, before. In the, in the health sector, the way the, the, the loss of the health providers today, whether nurses or doctors, the way they go about their business, you can see there's very little appreciation or prioritization of the, uh, the humanity of the people that they are serving. All a lot about money, about uh, quick results, and things like that. So, in other words, what I'm saying is that it's really a combination of so many factors that um, uh, explain what we are experiencing today, which I'm sure lots of us are very, very, very unhappy about, and very great that things are happening. And if you look at what's happening in Parliament. Is not always a very good example to our young people. Uh, it's not always uh, uh, good news to ordinary uh, uh, viewers, you know, of what's happening in Parliament. And it's sometimes also a little confusion because they're not quite sure, is this Parliament, is that Parliament ought to be called conducting itself? Are these uh, honourable members of Parliament truly representatives of the people? Uh, should we look up to them as examples of how society should work or not? So it's a combination of all those kind of factors. Having said so, uh, uh, though, Sheila, for me what is most important is that all of us really need to work very hard to, uh, uh, to conscientize, to produce, to train a, a citizenry that is very activist, that is very committed, that is not sitting back supinely uh, and being acted upon, but uh, a citizenry that will take responsibility also for its own future because the people that we elect are nothing else but really. So, uh, these are people who are supposed to be carrying out our, uh, 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 our priorities, uh, contributing to a better life for all and so on. But at the end of the day, 
sometimes people get lost. They, they get power drunk. And uh, uh, what is difficult for an activist citizenry, uh, it's not going to be easy for, for even elected representatives to do as they please. And now, Father, just to sum things up, what would you say should be positive ways uh, that people should uh, display when they disapprove or when they are dissatisfied? What are the positive ways in which people can manifest? One, there are structures that uh, uh, are of a constitutional nature that are in place that people can use as forums for engagement with those in authority, but also engagement among themselves. And I'd even go further to say, not only engagement with government, but also even a, in um, a faith-based organizations that ordinary congregants should also begin to uh, take to actively, their own, seriously, their own responsibility. That's not to leave everything to the good parish priest or the bishop and so on, but they should also be able to say through our, whether it's parish council, whatever you call them, and so on and so on, we really, as the people, as the, as the members of this congregation, have a say in the way in which things are managed. But then there are the sort of informal structures that I think we really need to, uh, 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 to set up. Informal in the sense that they are not really statutory. They are not uh, they, uh, through constitution, by the law, and so on. But we are just saying that we as ordinary uh, citizens, we as professional people, we as students, uh, we as believers, we as uh, uh, business people to, to, to uh, you know, as, as we are able to organize ourselves so that our voice can be heard. And there's nothing, there's no law that stops people from, uh, uh, from doing that. And I think I'd also like to suggest very strongly that uh, uh, we should begin maybe to engage people in the media uh, much more seriously in a coordinated fashion rather than sort of casually from time to time when they, uh, you know, they want a story. But that to make them aware that their role in society is extremely important. Because if you look in any country where the... Uh, uh, the media is either weak or suppressed, there are very negative consequences and so on. But where the media is alive and well, it also helps to expose scandals, corruption, things that are wrong in society, that are destructive. Uh, it also exposes people that they should not be in leadership positions because they are not ethical, they are not providing ethical leadership. They are people who, in fact, should never have been allowed to uh, to have access to the, um, uh, say, for instance, to, to be either to treasury or to resources that should be benefiting the majority of the people and so on. And people use them for their own uh, private and selfish interests and so on. So the media then in some countries, where the media is very, very vibrant and aggressive, they do a very important positive role in exposing that which is evil. 
All right, Father, thank you so much for your time. I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add before I let you go. Yes, um, just to add that, uh, you see, I am the head of the Moral Regeneration Movement. And one of our most important tasks and responsibilities is to promote what we, re- we refer to as positive values. Now, these are values that are commonly shared or should be commonly shared uh, across ideology, religious differences, uh, political affiliations, race, uh, ethnic groupings, and so on. Because we really believe that, especially at this point in time, one of the, the, the biggest challenges that is facing us, even as a country, quite frankly, I think it's moral decay. And we are therefore saying that because Morris generation does not belong to any particular church or political party, uh, we should all be working together, identifying those areas where we can um, uh, work actively together in a positive way. Uh, during this year, uh, of uh, local government elections, we have produced what we call a charter of election ethics, where we have identified certain uh, uh, values which we feel should be assisting the IEC, the security forces, uh, the, the leaders of political parties, the voters themselves, uh, independent observers, and so on, so that when they exercise these functions, they are guided by certain values, the values that build society, that are constructive, that will bring about peace, solidarity, and understanding among the people. So that would be really what I would want to add, but also to thank you very much, Sheila, for the opportunity that you are giving to us, because uh, very often some of the issues that we are discussing right now do not always reach out in a way to as many people as they should, or we do not ourselves always have an opportunity to interact with people such as yourself so that we share some of these uh, uh, concerns, but also positively to see what it is that we can do to make our contribution. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you once again. Enjoy the rest of your day. No, it's a pleasure, and thank you for the opportunity. That was former diocesan priest, Father Smangaliso Mkwachwa, the chairperson of the Moral Regeneration Movement, a networking platform that facilitates and coordinates all processes as well as initiatives aimed at combating moral degeneration. Thank you so much for listening to The Catholic View. It's a program produced and presented to you by Sheila Birch for Radio Veritas. Until tomorrow at the same time, God bless you and ciao, ciao.